Today's uh, scripture reading comes from Psalm 126. And uh, you can just follow along as I read it aloud. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is a word of the Lord. Let's uh, bow our heads for uh, just a brief moment of prayer. God, we thank you just for your word, and uh, we thank you for this time. And we know that we are people who can oftentimes be deaf to what you want to say to us. And so we ask that your spirit would open our ears and uh, help us to see and help us to experience and help us to uh, have a greater and a deeper knowledge of who you are. Uh, And God, we know that knowledge is... uh, useless for the sake of knowledge, but ultimately we want knowledge that transforms. Uh, We want to be transformed by the power of your living word uh, that we might be able to see you, that we might be able to love you, that we might be able to worship you in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, You know, I thought I would just do a sermon because this is a special occasion with joint uh, joint service, and uh, I thought I would just do a sermon Uh, reflective of the season that we're in. So this is a time of the year where people look back uh, upon the year 2018 and start to reflect on things. I think in the news you start to see things like uh, this year in pictures or the top news stories for 2018 or the top movies. Recently I even saw uh, former President Barack Obama, he came out with his annual list of his favorite books that he read in the past year. And, you know, it's also nice for me uh, because you know, some, some of the missionaries that uh, we support, uh, they, they also do kind of like a year review of like some of the things that happened in their past year as they reflect on what God has been doing in their lives and in their ministries. But, you know, for me, uh, honestly, I don't really reflect this time of year. I'm not the kind of guy that does uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, I, sp- I do most of my reflecting in the summers, I think. But I think in the spirit of the end of the year, And reflecting on the year, I thought we could look at this psalm because what this psalm does is it does reflect upon the past, the present, and the future. Now, the first thing you'll notice is this psalm reflects on the past. And have you ever gotten into like a very nostalgic uh, feel where you begin to look at old pictures, where you begin to see what your life was like? Sometimes when I look at old pictures... You know, it does bring back a lot of good memories of times when life was a little bit slower, life was a little bit less busy, life was a little less tiring, life was a little less stressful. And whenever my wife looks at some of these old photos, uh, her, her constant comment is, oh, your face got older. You're starting to get bags under your eyes. And she always encourages me to uh, use some facial products like toner and facial moisturizers, but I do not want to do that. And, you know, when some of us look at our older photos in life, I don't know if you feel this way, but maybe you think those were the good old days. Uh, Those were the days when I had nicer skin. Those were the days when I had more hair. Those were the days when I had a better figure. Those were the days when I had more energy. Those were the days when I had more fun. And we think to ourselves, those were the good old days. For some people, the days of glory uh, is all they have, and they end up becoming sad characters in movies. So, for example, in the movie... 
uh, Friday Night Lights, not the, not the TV show version, but the movie version. There's this character played by Tim McGraw, and he's the parent of a football player, uh, of, uh, a parent of a football player in a high school team, and his character like pushes his son to the point of abuse um, because he wants his son to experience the glory of playing high school football and winning a championship. And the reason why he's like that is because for him, his best years were when he played high school football. And he's kind of like this uh, drunk, uh, I don't know, depressed character uh, who's like always looking to the past. And he's so, he's so intense about his son that he's like, would you stop fumbling? And he puts a football in <laughs> his son's hand and he tapes it together. He's like, what's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? Stop fumbling the football. And you look at that character and you go, ooh, that's a sad character. He looks at the past, his, his current life, he looks at, he's like, I don't like my life now, but all I can do is look at the good old days. You know, in Psalm 126, the first half of the psalm is actually doing just that. They are remembering the good old days for Israel. Uh, some scholars think that maybe they're recounting a time when they returned from exile, but nobody's really sure what the historical context is here. But what we do know is they're recalling past fortune a time where they felt like God has done great things for them. In verse 1, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And there is this kind of emotional high that they were experiencing because God had restored their fortunes. They were living as though they were living a dream. Their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongue with shouts of joy. Now, in our culture, I think we laugh most of the time at the misfortune of others. I think a lot of comedy is actually based on uh, laughing at the misfortune of others, whether it's like a racial group, whether it's like a certain person, celebrity, politician, or even if it's self-deprecating humor and it's laughing at yourself. A lot of laughter in our culture is actually laughing at misfortune. But the kind of laughter that's being described here is a different kind of laughter. It's the kind of laughter that comes out of a deep sense of joy. You often see that kind of laughter, I think, from children. You see it much less coming from adults. The only scene I can think of uh, about that kind of laughter was, again, in another old movie that maybe you haven't seen, is The Shawshank Redemption. And, you know, at the end of the movie where the main character, he actually finally breaks out of prison for the first time, there is this iconic scene where he tastes freedom for the first time. It's raining. His hands are in the air. He's looking up at the sky. The camera's, like, panning right into his face, and he's just laughing hysterically. That kind of laughter is a kind of laughter that comes from sheer delight. And that is the kind of laughter that they're recalling. That's the kind of laughter that they're remembering in terms of the past when God had done great things for them. But those times did not last for them because you look at verses 4 to 6 and it has a very different tone. It's no longer this dreamlike jubilation, but now they are praying for restoration and their prayers are filled with weeping and with tears. In verse 4, he's praying, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev, what's the Negev? The Negev is very dry, arid land. It was like a desert, and that's what the people are feeling right now. They're like, ooh, we are like in this barren wasteland. It feels like death for us. And what they're asking God is they're saying, God, bring us streams of water again. It's a picture of uh, kind of like this gushing stream of water that just pours out into this dry and barren land. And then all of a sudden, vegetation can sprout and there would be immediate flourishing. That's what they're praying for. That's what they want. 
I think sometimes we want God to restore us like that as well. We want immediate gratification. If you're a believer, we want these great revivals taking place. We want these 180, is it 180? Yeah, 180 (laughs) turnarounds. If you're from a place of rock bottom, you want to kind of skyrocket and go to the top. We want our dry and barren land to turn into this flourishing garden in an instant. And they're no different. That's what they want from God. You know, sometimes that's how God does it. Uh, But here, there's actually another picture that serves as a contrast. The picture here is an agricultural metaphor. It's a picture of shedding tears and weeping. There is sadness. There is heartbreak about their current situation, especially in light of such a glorious past. And if you've ever spent a significant amount of time in the Psalms, one thing you realize is there's this great range of emotions. And one of the most common emotions is the emotion of lament. In a therapeutic uh, kind of culture like the one we live in, people say this, right? It's, uh, it's important for you to express your feelings. It's important not to repress what's inside, but if you need to cry, it's good to have kind of like that good cry, right? I personally am not one who cries very often, so I don't know. Uh, that's never been very therapeutic for me. But uh, for some people, you just kind of need a good cry, and after you get a good cry and after you vent a little bit, you start to feel better. And, you know, that's not necessarily bad advice, but I think that advice falls short because what it's saying is this. Use your tears in a self-serving way. Use your tears so that you can feel better. But God's plans for our tears are actually much greater than that. The tears in this psalm is supposed to have a deeper purpose. They aren't meant to be self-serving. They aren't just meant to make us feel better, but they're supposed to produce something. Tears are something to be sown in order to produce a harvest of joy. If you look at verse 5, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Sowing and reaping, again, agricultural metaphor. Uh, I don't think urban dwellers uh, are too familiar with farming, but maybe you've done like those science projects in the past. Uh, If you were in a science class in like elementary school or something, where you uh, have soil and you put like a little seed and you water it and you take care of it and you just like wait for the plant to grow. Uh, I know in our church the kids did that maybe like last year or two years ago and uh, they had these plants. Um, If you've ever done anything like that, then you know you have to be patient because you don't see the plant grow right away. You don't see the fruit come right away. It's actually a very slow process and there is actually some risk attached. What's the risk? You got to buy the seed you got to buy the soil. you got to put in the time to care for it, to water it. And if the plant doesn't grow, then it ends up being a huge waste of resources and a huge waste of time. Imagine your livelihood depended upon that. The things that you grow is the food that you eat is a way that you survive. Then the stakes are much higher. And even though you're not sure what kind of harvest will be produced, you patiently do the work of sowing those seeds. This psalm is using that picture, and it says this. He who goes out weeping, this is verse 6, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. God has a purpose for our tears beyond emotional expression, but he wants to plant our tears in order to produce a great harvest later on. That's why the one who goes out weeping will come home bringing his sheaves with him. Sheaves are uh, basically a bundle of of grain stalks. 
and one brings home uh, that one will come home with like these sheaves, these grain stalks, after the period of harvest has begun. And there will be a great harvest. And in this vision of that great harvest, you see that there's a future orientation, right? You know, we looked at the past, glorious past. We looked at the present, tearful presence. We look at the future, and the future is filled with shouts of joy. Now, the English translation does not bring out the emphatic nature of verse 6 from the Hebrew. Uh, The way the Hebrew language works, if you want to emphasize something, you basically repeat the word twice. So, for example, uh, I don't know, in Genesis 3-4, when the serpent lies to the woman about eating from the fruit of the tree, he says, you will surely die. And Hebrew, literally, the way it says it is, you will die, die, okay? That's how Hebrew emphasizes things. I don't know why the English translators translators didn't do it here, but there is actually a point of emphasis here in verse 6, and it should read like this. He who goes out weeping shall surely come home with shouts of joy. It's an emphasis on the fulfillment of promise. There is a promise for the one who sows faithfully that their tears will surely reap shouts of joy. And therefore, it will not be wilderness forever. It will not be dry forever. It will not be desert forever. But one day, this dry and barren land will turn into a flourishing garden. You know when that day comes? Do you know why that day comes? Because of Jesus Christ. A little bit of trivia. You know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What a profound verse. In the Gospel of John, uh, there's a story uh, of a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus dies. He has two sisters, Martha and Mary, and when Jesus comes, they both say the same thing to him. Jesus, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. And what's really interesting about that story is the way Jesus responds to both. He responds very differently to both sisters. To Martha, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He basically tells her some theological truth, and it's glorious theological truth. I am the resurrection and the life. But with Mary, he responds a little bit differently. With Mary, he weeps. Now, I was always a little bit confused by that response from Jesus. Why would Jesus weep? Didn't he know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Didn't he know... Uh, everything was going to be okay eventually? Shouldn't he come in with great confidence and say, Mary, don't worry, I got this. Everything will be okay. But he doesn't do that. He weeps. Now, why does Jesus weep? I think his weeping tells us something very profound about who he is and about his humanity. It tells us that he is one who sympathizes with us. It tells us he is one who feels the pain of the brokenness in us and the brokenness of this world, and it breaks his heart. It tells us that he knows the world was not meant to be this way, and sin and death were not supposed to be a part of this world. And so he weeps. But Jesus is not only one who has power to raise the dead to life, but he's also one who can identify with our pain, and that's why he weeps. 
And by identifying with us, which is, by the way, what Christmas was all about, he is now able to sow something through his tears that will reap eternal shouts of joy. That's what's promised here. In Hebrews 5, 7, uh, it says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And what that means is this. Jesus shed the kind of tears that we would never have to shed. Jesus shed tears at the prospect of a death upon a cross. He experienced what it was like to be completely rejected by God. He experienced complete shame. He experienced complete forsakenness by his very own father as he hung upon the cross to die for our sins. And he did it through his own tears so that a harvest of joy could come to his people. You know, that harvest imagery is also featured uh, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians when talking about Jesus' resurrection. And he says Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit. It's the first fruit of a harvest to come. That means that when Jesus rose from the dead, that's only the beginning. That's only the start of the harvest. But there is a greater harvest to come to the rest of creation. If you look at the picture of new heaven and new earth, picture of full harvest. And you know what's missing in that picture of the new heaven and new earth? Tears. No more tears. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. No longer any tears because Jesus sowed his tears to produce this wonderful, great harvest where we will shout with joy. That is the ultimate restoration that this psalm is alluding to and pointing forward to. So here's a question now. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? One of the things it means is this. We live in an age where restoration has begun. The harvest has started. That started in, uh, when the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. If you're from City Grace, I think you went through the, uh, the book of Acts for a sermon series. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes and the harvest starts to flourish. But we also have to realize this and keep it in tension with this, that restoration hasn't been complete. And because of that, there will be tears. They won't be tears of complete hopelessness and tears of despair, but they will be tears that can be sown in anticipation of a harvest to come. You know, in one sense, uh, if you are a believer here today, uh, you have to think about this. In one sense, um, Christian believers should probably be shedding the most tears. Do you know why? Because we know that the way the world is now is not the way it was meant to be. We know that God had another plan and intended the world to be different and sin and death were not supposed to be part of this world. And therefore, our hearts should break for the things that sin has broken. Our hearts should break when we see suffering. Our hearts should break when we see the lonely, when we see the poor, when we see the greedy, the outcast, the depressed, the sexually broken, the anxious, and the weary. Our hearts should break when families are broken, 
when friendships are broken, when marriages are broken, when communities are broken. Our hearts should break when there is deep hatred and division between different racial groups, between different political groups, between different gender groups. Just read the news. There's plenty of reasons why our hearts should break. But you know what? If we are not shedding tears, I don't mean literal tears, figurative tears, which can very easily happen in a place like New York City, then I'm not sure we will ever devote ourselves to love and care for that which is broken to the degree that God calls us to do. Some of us, I think, tend to be maybe active types. And what I mean by that is this. If you see a problem, uh, your first thing, your first reaction is to say this. I need to fix it, and I need to take action and fix this problem. Sometimes those are good qualities. If you are a fireman and the problem is a fire, then yeah, you want to be a a person of action. You want to jump to action. But you know, that's not uh, helpful or beneficial in every sphere of life. There are some things in life where it's better not to take action, where it's better to just cry, listen, and pray before you take any kind of action. Let me give you an example. If you've ever been with somebody who's been grieving, grieving the death of a loved one, maybe your first impulse is, I need to say something to make this person feel better. But most of the time, what you say doesn't really make a person feel better. Sometimes it can have the opposite effect and actually make that person feel worse because then they feel like nobody really understands what they're going through. I think what grieving people usually appreciate is this, uh, when a friend or a loved one Uh, walks with them, sits with them, listens to them, cries with them. Sometimes tears have to come before action. When it comes to loving people and serving people and ministering to people in the city, all of whom, including us, are very broken, if we jump to action way too soon without shedding the tears that we need to shed first, we may miss some important steps. We may miss the compassion piece, and we'll certainly miss the prayer piece. I know there's a a variety of people here, and everybody here is in a different place spiritually. Some of us, uh, maybe we already have those hearts. God has given us those hearts to break for others, and therefore God has filled us with great compassion, and, and when we see people suffering, our hearts really feel for them. But I imagine maybe many of us have uh, gotten a little bit hardened towards the pain of others and the brokenness of others. Uh, I I do think city life tends to do that, and it's uh, easier just to kind of grow apathetic to things like that than to grow compassionate towards things like that. Um, Perhaps some of us have become apathetic, and if if, uh, we have, that's probably the worst thing (laughs) we can be. Because you know, apathy is uh, the opposite of love, not hate. Apathy signals a loss of hope and a loss of desire. Apathy says, I don't really care. And I don't really care probably says this about us. I don't really believe. I don't really believe that the gospel promises life. I don't really believe that the message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation. I don't really believe the gospel is what really gives hope to a weeping world. We need to weep with those who weep because God is going to use those tears, sow those tears, 
into spiritual ground to produce a great harvest of joy. Uh, let me also say this, and uh, I'll probably end around here. I think too often we, we look for immediate fruit. We're a little bit impatient. We look for immediate gratification. And here I'm addressing those of you who are a part of churches. You know, we want to see the fruit of our labor. And as a church, maybe you want to see growth in your church. Uh, we want to see right, baptisms. We want to see uh, growth. We want to see right, all of these things. We create these kind of like five-year strategic plans. And, uh, you know, when does revival really happen? Is it a result of our plans? Is it a result of our talents? Revival happens in God's time according to his good pleasure, right? But revival also happens usually because there have been prior generations who have wept before God in prayer for the lost, for the dry and barren land. I've heard that's what happened in New York, and there was like these mini revivals happening in New York, and, you know, before that, tons of people were crying out for New York City. I do hope we can see the mighty work of God in our lifetimes, and we can see the fruit of our prayers and the fruit of our ministries, and I hope I, I can see that too as well. But, you know, we have to have enough faith to sow our tears anyway, even if the harvest doesn't come right away. Because God may use those tears for people who come after us. And with that said, you know, we also should realize this is the age of the harvest, and we should expect harvest. And when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, the next thing he said is this, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. So we need to pray with a combination and a mixture of hopefulness, but also tears, weeping, that breaks for the brokenness of this world. During your reflections on New Year's, if you're that sort of person, add this into your reflection. As you look back upon 2018, have you shed the tears that God wants you to shed? Have you wept for the things that God wants you to weep for? Are our churches, weeping churches, in the best sense of the word? You know, not in the sense of like, oh, we're so sad all the time. Right? There should be joy and celebration because <laughs> Jesus has come. But in the sense of you see people struggle, you see people suffer, you see what's out there, you see what's in your heart, you see what's in the heart of others, you see everything that's going on in your families, amongst your friends. Are we weeping enough for that which is broken? If we are, I do think God is going to use those tears to produce a wonderful harvest of joy. Let's pray together.